Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. Today, I'm introducing you to Renita Das. I'm thrilled that you've joined us, Renita. How are you? I'm doing good, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Absolute pleasure. Renita, I would love to give our audience a little bit of bio, a little bit of background on who you are. So let me just do that briefly and then we'll get on with our conversation. So Renita Das is the Transformational Health Partner and Senior Vice President at Frost & Sullivan. Uh, Frost & Sullivan is a global growth consulting company headquartered in Silicon Valley in California. Renita is a healthcare futurist and strategist. She's passionate about changing the healthcare industry. She recently got voted the top 100 women in femtech and healthcare. She's lived and worked in over 10 countries in the world, focusing on healthcare issues and working with the public and private sector to implement growth change strategies. She's the first woman partner at Frost & Sullivan. In addition, she's the founder of GLOW, and she's also on the board of a not-for-profit called High Tech High Heels, which is in Silicon Valley and focuses on increasing gender diversity in STEM. She's a regular contributor at Forbes magazine. She's coming to us today in the interview from India, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with me, Renita. Thank you, Melissa. So I am going to ask straight away for people in the audience who haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before. I've got so many questions just even based on the bio and based on some of the terminology in there. But firstly, can we just ask you to expand a little bit on yourself, on your passion and, and where your drive comes from, Renita? Sure. Thank you, Melissa, for giving me this opportunity. So I think in a very simple way, um, I could say that I'm all about changing the status quo. I, I think I, I, um, it's part of my socialization to just be uh, working within the lines always. And I found out very early that if I work within the lines and within the box, I'm not going to be able to find my purpose or unleash my purpose as I call it, because you don't really find your purpose, your purpose is inside you and you try to go out and unleash what you have from the outside. So I've always wanted to make a change. I've always wanted to make an impact. And luckily I, I was able to unfold my purpose at Frost & Sullivan doing what I do, which is really two big things I work on. I work on changing healthcare across the world, whether it's healthcare in India, or whether it's healthcare in the US. I think that's my number one uh, priority is to increase and give patients what they deserve and look at what I call holistic care, health and wellness go together and educate different stakeholders all over the world of what that really means. So I work a lot on helping companies look at the future of healthcare. Uh, so that's one big area that I work on. And then the second big area I work on is obviously women in leadership. Uh, coming out of Silicon Valley where I've been for the last 30 years, um, it's, it's very sad that instead of moving forward, we are going back. 
And in a lot of ways, uh, we're facing the backlash of many big, big movements like the Me Too movement, uh, racism and other, and other factors. And, um, and very early on, I realized that I did have to upset the apple cart. Being a woman of color, I could not just merge in and do my, myself um, justice in whatever I was doing. So I think firmly the foundation of what, what I see myself as is really someone who works outside the lines, who brings about change, who provides a voice. And I wanna make it a better place for our daughters. I have a 22 year old daughter who's right now working in banking in, um, in New York City. And she works 18 to 19 hour days. And I am spending so much of time in counseling her to be able to see how we can change the industry and move away from the slavish mentality of just giving without any work-life balance. And, and if my daughter at 22 is doing this, and I did this as well when I was 22, we have to make a change. Mm. And that's what I'm striving for, to create a different system for, for our young. Renita, where does the, um, uh, and I'm going to use the word confidence, but where does the, the confidence come from to, um, you know, to, to push and to upset the apple cart? And I guess I'm interested when you use the term upset the apple cart, what do you mean? <laughs> upset the little boys club. We do have that still, Melissa, unfortunately. Um, I, I think what happened is that for many, many years, um, my voice was not heard. I was the only woman very often in meetings, the only woman of color very often in meetings. I've worked in very, very different cultures. I've worked in Japan and Korea, cultures where, where women in business and senior leadership are looked at in a very different way. I've worked in, in the US and in Europe. I've worked even in Latin America. So it's been very different. And in many cultures, um, my voice was never heard. And I decided early on that I could just sit there and, and abide with what was given to me and do my bit, or I could change this. And I decided to, to take the risk and change it. So the way I changed it is actually not the advice I would give. I changed it by becoming a man. And that's really where I'm, I made some big mistakes now that I look at it. Because what I started doing is I started behaving like how men would behave, you know, using aggression and using a raised voice and, and obviously using objectivity and data and knowledge to be able to do that. But I only did that because I knew I had to fit in and become another one of them. So I started looking like a man. I started wearing dark suits. I started, um, you know, getting into that mindset of what a man means. And as I went through this transition, I started asking myself, is this really what I, who I am? Is this really what I want to be? What am I doing this for? And so at that point of time, I, I embarked on a, a really a journey. There was one or two people that I really admired, one of them being Dr. Shefali. She's a clinical psychologist out of, out of uh, New York, and she's written a wonderful book called Conscious Parenting. And I'm only sharing this because it's, an, it's, been, it's changed my life. And I, I embarked on a journey with her. And, and really through that process, I realized that I was not authentic. I was not myself. I was not who I wanted to be. And so once I was able to figure that out, and it took a long time because I had reached rock bottom at that point, and I really had to decide which way I had to go either in my personal life or in my career. And often they say that pain is a portal of suffering to, to transformation, and you have to 
through that, but all of that happens within you, it's not external. And I went through that process and that's when I realized that I had to become myself. I had to be who I was. And I, and I could not change the workplace. The workplace has been designed for men by men, but now we have women in the workplace and we have to change it in the way it suits women. And so I started you know, becoming a very strong voice for many of the women below me and along with me and collaborating with them of how I could be. And, and I, I even changed how I dressed. I, I, I remember in 2015, for the first time, I went on stage for a very large event in, um, in, in Las Vegas on looking at the future of healthcare. And the whole hall was full of men in black suits. And I was the only woman who was wearing a red dress. Beautiful. So many women who came out after me and told me, wow, you had guts to go out there in a red dress. And now of course it's common because we've changed it a bit, but I had to make that change. And I'm using a, 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 just a, a clue of just an appearance to tell you that it just it's just the outward first and then it's the inward. Okay. I wanted to um, pick up when there's, there's so many um, things to explore there. What was the reaction from people around you? I mean, was it gradual, the, the kind of external and behavioural change, or was it quite sudden? I think it was gradual. Like, I can't say it was overnight. It was an awakening that I had to go through myself. I remember when I became a man in a, in a woman's body working in corporate America and senior leadership. And I'm saying it, you know, flippantly, but actually it, it had serious implications in what I was communicating and how I was behaving. I, I remember I was competing with a lot of women who were doing the same thing. They were all doing the same thing. They were all in the black suits, talking the same talk and putting other women down. And, and that's when I realized I don't want to do this. I want women to collaborate with me. I want them to be my friends and my sisters. This is not what I've come here to do. Mm. And, and, and I'm hoping that, that it has changed for the next generation who see themselves and build that sisterhood and that camaraderie that we need. But I never had that in the 90s and the 2000s at all. I was alone and I was fighting all of them, women and men. And Renita, you many women have faced this. I think I'm not the only one who's faced this, this competition. No from other other women you told me um when we met briefly some time ago that you had never asked for a raise and it's interesting that um you know there's a, a wonderful book called women don't ask um written by a professor and i forget which university it is in the u.s but the research says that um, men are 40% more likely to ask for a raise. And when women do ask, they ask for 30% less. I just wonder if you can share, um, have you never asked for a raise because you never felt like you deserved one or needed one? You were so highly paid or what was, what was, <laughs> what was, what was going on there? I think it's my socialization. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, when I, I started doing some work with young girls in, in middle school and, and, uh, and elementary school in Silicon Valley where I live. And what we found out is that girls and boys respond very differently to, uh, to exams and validation erases part of that whole process. So for, exam uh, for example, I don't know if you know that if a boy and girl gives an exam, a girl will always say, two grades less than what she actually gets at an exam. So she'd say, I did really badly, I'd probably get a C. 
and and a boy always over uh, over exceeds and says he gets an A plus when actually he gets a B or a C. So I think it starts from junior high or middle school or elementary school, the way we are socialized, that we are not good enough ever and we don't really see the, the goodness in ourselves. And I think it started from there for me for my entire life till I started realizing that that's not, I do have some value. I, I, I do have, I can see the value I have compared to other people, other people at my level. And it was very, very difficult for me to ask for anything because I've never asked for anything. I always felt that if I did well enough, I would get it. And I think that's where the dichotomy lies because you are waiting for doing good enough based on someone else passing judgment on that. You're not basing it on what you think is good enough. Mm. And we're constantly seeking validation from everyone else, whether it's our parents, our siblings, our spouses, our, our work colleagues, our bosses. We're constantly seeking that. And I think we have to reach a point that we don't need that anymore. We know who we are, we know what we can do, and we need to be able to shout it out and boast it out. And I think women are not good at boasting, unfortunately. Time for change. Can I ask about GLOW? Can you tell us about what, what GLOW is in the background behind that? Sure. So I became the first woman partner in the company after 25 men. And I was in the company for about 15 years before I I made it to partnership um, and I was very fortunate that I was able to make it to partnership because there were other women with me who I was competing with again for the spots who didn't make it. So one of the things I decided to do that I gave to myself is that if I ever did have a voice on the seat on the table, that I would do something to change the life of many women who I work with who deserve better. And so did is because I had a voice, I, I was able to work with our board of directors to create this program called Growth and Leadership of Women within Frost and Sullivan as a nonprofit organization. And what we started doing is in 45 offices around the world, identifying women who would be the next leaders of our company over the next five, 10 years and work with them, men and women combined to create uh, the tools that they need to get there, to change the culture, give them, give them the training that you need. I mean, I, I remember we identified almost 100 different training needs that women need that men don't need. For example, negotiation is a very big one. We're not good negotiators. And that goes back to the asking for a raise question. Even though we want to raise, we don't get what we want because we are not able to negotiate well enough. Uh, the, the whole tendency to apologize all the time. Um, my daughter starts her sentence by saying, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? Why, why are we in this mindset of constantly apologizing? If you're taking someone's time, you shouldn't be apologizing. We have some value of that time too. So changing some of that, our behavior, verbal, nonverbal of, of making us you know, more worthy of, of the workplace and defining our own worthiness based on ourselves, not by cultural accepted norms of, of the company. So I this organization and it's been about seven eight years now and we're doing really well uh, we've started promoting a lot of women um, you know and I'm really proud of, of the work that we're doing that's fantastic and I'd love to turn now to um, high tech high t high heels um, tell me about that as well it's another initiative sure so high tech high heels is actually came out of Texas instruments in Texas 
they started this organization in the late 90s because they had only 2% of engineers in their entire global company. And they realized very fast that they couldn't grow and become an engineering company globally with such a wide discrepancy between men and women. And what they found in Texas was the, one of the main reasons was that there was a huge pipeline leak towards young girls choosing STEM, science, technology, maths, and engineering careers. So even though all young girls like science and maths, by the time they reached high school, they didn't want to pursue it because of a lot of nuances and socialization that was happening in the schools, pressure from their parents, their boys in the classroom, and, and all of that. So we started, so we took the organization that was started in, in Texas, and we, we adopted it to meet the needs of Silicon Valley. And we started this about four or five years ago with another group of women, all in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area who are in senior leadership positions. We did a lot of studies in Silicon Valley schools looking at middle school girls and boys and how science and maths is taught. We realized that all the curriculums were designed by men for boys. They were not designed for girls. Girls and boys learned very differently. Girls learn more by experiences and emotions and uh, situations. Boys learn differently to that. And so we decided to build curriculums and create mentorship programs for young girls so that they could, by the time they got to college, they could take a decision that I wanted to be an engineer or I want to be a doctor and sustain that. Because that's where we find that there's a huge leak of women um, going in for STEM-based careers. And as a result of that, we have been able to, we're following these girls through fifth grade to 10th grade and being able to understand where the leaks are, what are causing these leaks and how do we change the education system. That's such important work. And in this interview series, one of the speakers that I'm talking to is Louise Adams. And Louise is the CEO of Oricon um, for Australia and New Zealand, a large engineering services firm. And she just told a, a gorgeous story about um, her grandfather engaging her in bridges and um, I won't repeat the story here, but, you know, as that story was told, she said to her grandfather, what would I need to do to fix that? And he said to her, you'd need to be a civil engineer. And for her, she never wavered from that. And one of the things she described to me is, you know, girls love to fix big problems. And, um, you know, if you can engage a girl on a dream to fix a big problem, then potentially you might, you might get to hang on them to them for longer. Does that align with what you're finding? Absolutely, absolutely. There has to be a larger purpose for girls. They're not just looking at the small things and you, you have to inspire them. And that's why I feel that how we teach is so important. And we started something called gender equity training for teachers and counselors. And in a, a super rich area like Silicon Valley, if we don't have that, I just wonder you know, about what's happening in the rest of the world. Because I really think the teachers and the educators need to be conscious about how they call on girls versus boys, how they engage girls versus boys in the classroom. And that really has a huge impact later on in life uh, in the careers they choose. Can I ask what the term femtech means? It's not terminology that I've used before. Yes, so femtech is a short form for female technology. It's really related to the healthcare world. Um, I, I, this is another area which is one of my passions where I'm using healthcare and women and trying to change that, that, those areas. 
Um, it's really basically a, a device diagnostic software app, uh, a platform um, that women can use themselves to enable better health and wellness and take control of their health. Um, women's health is a very, very serious issue in the world today. There's so many conditions that are not treated. Uh, we have women uh, products that are out there for women, but they've never been tested on women's bodies. Oh. Uh, yes, the FDA just instituted, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States just in instituted a department for women's health a few years ago. Before that, there was no women's health department. All the drugs for women that we were taking for all these years, they really tested on men because we were never part of clinical trials in 1998. Oh. Uh, so a lot of my work has been uh, related to how we bring women into the ecosystem and have products designed by women and, and make women aware of some of the, the, the problems or situations that they might encounter in their health, that they have no access to resources or even doctors to treat them for that. So and an example? So for example, one of the big areas that I work on myself is menopause. So there's 1 billion women today entering into menopause. And I did a study last year, just randomly across 25 countries of the world, asking people what they knew about menopause and what they thought, and if they had it, women from 45 to 55 years of age. And I would say 50% of these women had no resource or tools or knowledge on what menopause was. Um, and, and menopause can be a life-threatening condition at some point if it's left untreated because it has huge mental health um, issues that come from it. And, and many women don't know what's happening to their bodies because nobody has told them. Mm. Doctors don't talk about this. When you go for a regular appointment, there are not many doctors that, that educate you on menopause or give you the resources you need. So Femtech is a way for us to get this out by providing tools and technologies. I'm trying to make it mainstream. I'm trying to get in healthcare companies like Philips and Johnson & Johnson and Merck and Pfizer to start looking at this area because it's a huge big opportunity from a financial point of view in terms of money but it's also a huge opportunity in terms of making a difference to a woman's life. One of the other speakers um, co-authored a report um, and the organization is called Per Capita and the report was um, I think it's measures for measures gender equity in 2020 and one of the things that talked about was um, connecting links to a whole range of things, but um, women are disadvantaged across a whole range of life, lifetime phases. And one of those phases was um, healthcare issues not being addressed, was a very significant factor in um, resulting in a gender gap and resulting in women typically having a lot less in savings when it came time for retirement as well. So it's a very serious yeah, issue. Yeah, it is a serious issue. And the other thing is if you look at the behavior of women, we, are, we kind of take care of everyone else except ourselves. So we're taking care of our spouse, our parents, our children, but not ourselves. And women skip appointments. They skip refilling their prescriptions. They skip paying for their appointments almost 20 to 30 times more than a man would. Um, starts from there. Um, so I, I think we have to change the dialogue. We have to change that dialogue to ourselves, bring it back to ourselves. We count. We need to be gentle on ourselves. When I'm having the worst day possible, instead of just you know not knowing what to do about that day, I just say to myself, be gentle, be kind. What I would tell a friend, what I would tell a colleague. 
I tell myself that and I have to constantly remind myself that I, I need to do that for myself and being very harsh on myself. And I think that culture has to change. We have to do it for each other and ourselves. That's excellent advice because we are very hard on ourselves. And, you know, I find also a lot of women compare themselves. And, you know, I was going to, to ask you the question, Renita, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the audience who are watching this and they're thinking, you know, wow, Renita's incredible. Um, I could never do what she does. And I'm sure you've felt that before um, when you've looked at people around you at various points. But, you know, how do you respond to that feedback about I could never do what you do? I think at the end of the day, I just believe that all of us have our own purpose. We just have to find that purpose and contribute to making a change and impact. It's all there inside us. We can't be forced to look at the outside world. I think the more we look at the outside world, the more unhappy we're going to be. So we just have to focus on ourselves, be kind to ourselves, try to understand ourselves better, go deep within ourselves, understand all the ways we've been socialized, what is right, what is wrong, and really find that, that sweet spot, that space. And, and once you do that, you know, the sky's the limit. You can go wherever you want. Mm. And I just believe that, you know, I, I just feel frankly, it's all about the attitude and the mindset. It's not about the skills. Skills, we can acquire any skills. It's all about how we use our mind to do what we want to do. When have you felt... Sorry. Sorry to talk across you there. When have you felt the most vulnerable? Oh, very often, very often. I've been in meetings where I've been put down, where I've been told I don't know anything, where I've been almost naked, uh, stripped apart, um, and always having to fight back. And very often my response to that is, uh, the person is troubled and he's projecting his troubles onto me. That's the way I look at it. He's just had a bad day or he has had a fight with someone and he's putting it out to me. Um, and that's what he's doing. And, and I, I've learned not to take that personally anymore because it's not about me anymore, it's about him. Hmm. I'm sorry for him sometimes. That's, what, that's the way I look at it. I really feel sorry. I feel sorry for you that you're saying all these things to me because, you know, you are having the bad day. I'm not. I know who I am. So we talked about, um, you know, in your situation, um, you know, a lot of your career spent in a time where women were competing because there was one spot. Do you feel, you know, you, you watch your daughter um, who's much younger than us, do you, do you feel hopeful um, that there's a more supportive kind of collegiate sort of approach between women these days than there may have been? I think there's some progress that we've made. I think uh, women in her generation have much more camaraderie and much more friendship and they support others. I think that awakening has happened. I mean, if you look at the femtech movement, it's a pure women's movement. There's very few men in that movement today. So it's women supporting women and growing that field uh, of healthcare. Uh, so I, I do think that we've done great as women supporting each other. So I think there's been a lot of progress on that aspect. I still think the environment has not changed. I, I don't think that environment has changed. And I think it's, I, I think being a woman, especially being a woman of color, it's, it's uh, in a lot of ways is double discrimination uh, in a lot of respects. And that still continues to happen. And I'm hopeful, I'm definitely hopeful to what I faced 
20 years ago when I was her age, but uh, she'll still have an upper hill battle to climb in, in, in this texture. But the other advantage that these young girls have is that they have the ability now to start up their own companies and build the culture the way, the way they want to. And by doing that, uh, it'll slowly take, change the culture in the world, which is not something I had access to when I was her age. Do you wish you had built your own company? I did. I do. I do. I think about that a lot. I think about that a lot. Um, and the kind of organization I would have and the kind of people I would hire and, and, and maybe someday, who knows? It's never too late. Never too late. Never at all. Now, um, I want to ask you around um, brave feminine leadership, around one of the core reasons that we um, started the interview series. And I really wanted to explore with you, from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like? And do you think it needs to change? I think today, for me, brave feminine leadership is what I say in one word, authenticity. Mm. What be authentic. I think that's the most important thing. You have to be yourself. You can't become somebody else. And if you're able to be yourself and be confident and you have your purpose in doing what you're doing, it's awesome. You're a rock star in my view. So I, I think it's all about authenticity. It's all about being true to yourself and not being afraid and wearing covers and colors to, to, to close up and fade in with the rest. It's about standing out. Can I, about standing out, can I ask, um, you referenced earlier that, you know, when you went through that change where you had been acting very masculine um, and had sort of lost a bit of that connection, I think, with yourself or with your um, authenticity, how did you find it again? You know, I think that will be the question people will be interested in. Um, you know, how did you find the right mindset and courage to make that change? I think it's courage. It's having the courage to, it's almost like coming out of uh, um, a mold that people are used to seeing you and becoming someone else. And it's not something that happened overnight. I would say it's a transformation that happened over a couple of years in me. Um, I had to first work on healing myself internally um, I do a lot of yoga and meditation that I started at that point, and I, I still continue to practice it. And I just see the benefits of uh, the whole mind, body, and soul connection. And I bring that into my leadership and to my work every day. And I think that's what really has helped me to, to stay steadfast to who I am. And I'm not going to bend for anything or anyone. I know who I am, and I will continue on that road. If you had, um, you know, one key message that you wished women would take on board with regards to healthcare potentially, what would that message be? Take care of yourself. I think it's so important for women to take care of themselves. Think about what they eat, how many hours they sleep, exercise, you know, just have time for mental health. I mean, we have so many stresses that we put on ourselves and we don't realize the implications that each one of those stresses is having an impact on our heart or our lungs or our body parts or our joints or whatever that might be. I mean, women suffer from so many more diseases than men. For example, one in four women suffer from heart disease. One in five women suffer from an autoimmune condition. It, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, some of them are debilitating and, and we really need to take care of our health. And the health begins with good thoughts, good food, good sleep, you know, 
everything, all of that. It, it just doesn't begin with just changing, you know, exercising three times a week. It's, it's changing your whole attitude and your mindset uh, to yourself and, and being forgiven, forgive, you know, I, I think we don't forgive ourselves enough. Mm. Renita, thank you so much for joining us in the conversation. Um, I know you and I could talk for a long time on this subject. Um, you know, you're a very passionate person. You found, you know, the strength and bravery to push against some very challenging uh, situations in your career. But it, it also occurs to me that, you know, with you spending, you know, moving around to so many different countries and things like that, you're also obviously a risk taker. So you're also someone who's prepared to step outside of your comfort zone. Um, you know, I can imagine that hasn't always been easy, um, but um, have you found it rewarding? Absolutely. I would tell all women out there, don't give up. Continue on. You'll find whatever your pot of gold is that you're looking for somewhere along the way. It's not that I found it, but I've made the best in my situation and I'm in the best place that I can be right now in doing what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a job and having a voice to be able to make that change, to be able to do that. So I'm extremely grateful for all of that. Thank you so much for using your voice to, um, to support so many different initiatives. Um, that support women. I think it's very inspiring. And, you know, I, I think it demonstrates that no action is too small. You know, I think in our own corner of the world, we can all do something to, you know, help support change in this area. So congratulations. Um, and, uh, and I'm just thrilled that you were able to join us for the Brave Feminine Leadership interview series, Renita. Thank you so much, Melissa. It's been a pleasure to, to speak with you and have this conversation and please continue to do all the great work you're doing with this series. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.